Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness Podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire and his Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host, Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Hello, Stateside Madness fans. Welcome back to another exciting podcast. I'm Lori. And I am Polly. And we have a really, really amazing guest in the studio with us today. I can't wait. But first, but first, <laughs> Polly, we are trending in Cyprus again. Again in again. Cyprus. I know. Yeah. So now I'm kind of like, wow, should I get to Cyprus? You know, I'm really, really curious. So if you're a, a Cypriot and you're listening right now, let us know how you found us. I just, I'm dying to know. Our email address is statesidemadness at gmail.com. Drop us a line if you're in Cyprus and let us know how you found us. I, I'm just, I'm so curious. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, I'm I'm dying to go anywhere. So hey, if you want to drink beers in Cyprus, I'm your man. I'll totally go. <laughs> I may actually join you for that. That sounds lovely. So Polly, do you want to introduce our guest? Sure. So today we've got the legend himself, Robbo, Dave Robinson. So Dave Robinson founded Stiff Records back in 1975 with Jake Riviera, and he's signed just like a ton of bands, and coincidentally, some of my favorite bands. Motorhead, The Damned, uh, with when The Damned was there, they broke um, the song New Rose, uh, some considered to be the first uh, punk single of all time. Um, he signed Elvis Costello and, of course, Madness. Now, he would uh, go on to become Madness's manager, promoter, directed many of the Madness videos we've all come to love, and, uh, you know, all-around music impresario. So, if you would, Stateside Madness, please welcome Dave Robinson. So uh, let's get to it. Beautiful. So first off, may as well start at the beginning. Uh, you know, what was your entree into the music field? Uh, I was a photographer and uh, taking pictures of uh, poor um, fans that had no income. I did, uh, you know, as, as part of my charitable work. I took pictures of various groups and it uh, seemed to spread, you know, they seemed to uh, come back and get more and bring other bands. So uh, that encouraged me to uh, look at them. Then I started going to the odd gig, odd show, and, uh, you know, I opened a club and that was fatal. My photography business went down the toilet. And uh, my uh, musical business, uh, such as it is, started right there. And then how did you get into such a, such a storied career, right? Now, you are the co-founder of Stiff Records. 
Yes. How did that come about? Um, I ha I managed quite a few artists, and in having them uh, signed to major record labels, I realized that major record labels didn't know anything or had no interest about music at all. So I thought I'll start my own. Just like that? That's it. Uh, so legend has it then that you heard there was a new band uh, running around London, North London, um, called Madness, uh, and you invited them to play at your wedding, having never heard them before? Well, uh, several, several people mentioned to me that Madness would suit me. Um, they were big fans of Ian Dury, uh, who we were uh, putting out at the time. And uh, they didn't have any shows though. They, I couldn't see them, didn't have any shows. And uh, I was getting married. So I thought, here's a chance to kill two birds with one stone, if you'll excuse the kind of pun. Um, so that's what happened. They played at my wedding. And I did ask them to begin with that if I had any trouble with them, I'd actually kill them. If, <laughs> if, if anything occurred that wasn't, you know, copacetic, there would be trouble. And they were, they were great. I'm still married to the same woman <laughs> who, was, who was at the event when I signed the band. I just can't she... get over that, though. I can't, I can't yeah. get over if my husband had arranged a band that neither of us had ever heard for our wedding, I think I would have murdered him. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, well, it, I, I will not introduce you to my wife anywhere <laughs> okay, soon. <all> right. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard a track, a, an instrumental track called One Step Beyond, and immediately thought that's, that's the first single, and, that, and what a great title for an album. Now they, on the other hand, it's a Prince Buster song, and they were worried about um, doing too many Prince Buster tunes because uh, they didn't write a huge amount at the time. So uh, we had to have a long discussion of about five hours till they got very bored and agreed with me. So you just wore them down? That's pretty much my technique in, <laughs> in general. <laughs> So you kind of talked about then what made you decide to sign Madness to Stiff Records. I, I understand well, that. Well, they were they they were very good, and they had this big tune. I thought they they didn't consider it, and in actual fact, when they recorded, part of the deal was I was not to show up at the studio. Uh, I'm kind of famous for my. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know what the attitude is. My charm, obviously, but. Uh, they thought I might interfere with the recording, and so I agreed. You know, they went in with a guy called Clive Langer, and I suggested he use a guy called Alan Winstanley, who is a very good engineer. And so Clanger Winstanley was born at the same time, and it was a very satisfactory uh, career move for both of them. Great guys, I'm still very friendly with them, and they made a great record, but they didn't record One Step Beyond. The band refused to record it. So eventually, after another five hours, they recorded it, but only a one minute, 25 second version. So what they weren't aware of, the uh, technique at the time of tape editing, copying and editing, and 
I did that overnight, and in the morning I said, here's your new single. So they, they weren't aware you could do that. So they were kind of, but they never, they never thought it was the right move at the time. Subsequently, Suggs has uh, stated that Dave bored us to death over One Step Beyond, and thank God he did. One Step Beyond! seem that uh, there was a lot of people courting madness at the time well they 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 were and they weren't really uh the boys were very rough and ready very uh, rude what they call rude boys uh in the uk and i think several record companies found them a bit intimidating so they mainly came on board after stiff after the word was out that Stiff was keen to sign them, then that at the time was fairly difficult for Stiff because every time we showed interest in anybody, several other record companies would use that as a reason to make offers. And uh, at some point I made offers to bands I didn't have remote interest in just to kind of confuse the issue so that they could go off and <laughs> they could tell some major that, Stiff were dying to sign them so they could get big funds uh, into their accounts. Anyway, yes, a lot of bands, uh, a lot of record companies turned up to the party, and uh, the band had a lawyer called Paul Wolf, and he was well well named. But he could see, he could see that uh, we we had a meeting. We're having a meeting with the band and himself and Seymour Stein of Sire who was keen to take them for America. So we were having a meeting, but the lawyer really wasn't that keen to conclude anything. So he kept saying, look, there's lots of other people. And all the record companies at the time that we're talking about, um, they, uh, phone, they were phoning the lawyer's office, right? Richard Branson did his usual and offered double ending robo offers. He, he did that he did that regularly he never actually paid up but he found that it was a very good technique I'll offer double ending robo offers so the lawyer to cut a long story short said look we can't conclude this uh, there's a lot of offers out there I would need to uh, talk to all these people and come to some kind of conclusion but we can't do anything right now now, I was keen to get going, and I knew the band were too. So um, he, it seemed it was his wedding anniversary. That was the reason he gave me that he, it was his wedding anniversary, and uh, his wife and he were going to the opera, and it was all a big do, and he had to stop the meeting, uh, whatever. I slipped out the back. I had a very good staff at that time. Stiff record staff were notorious 
And I called my assistant and said, look, find out where Paul Wolf lives, right? Hire a limo, put champagne and flowers in it and send it out to his house. Tell his wife that he's in a meeting. He can't get on the phone to her, but he'd like her to put his dress suit, his evening suit into the cab and he'll meet her at the office. So if she dresses up, he'll be there and he can step in and they're going to go off to the opera. Right? So all that was happening while Paul Wolf was saying, well, I don't know if we can do this. And I'm saying to the band, look, there's only one guy who hasn't called, a guy called Dave D, and he represents Warner Brothers. Now, Dave D, Beaky, Mick and Titch, I don't know, do you remember that band? Dave D, Dozy, whatever. Yeah, anyway, he, he represented Warner Brothers. He was always the last. And he always felt he could sign a band by offering silly money because he had a big bank account. So I said, look, the next call will be Dave D and then we can get down to signing this agreement. And as luck would have it, the phone rang and it was Dave D. So the band thought that was the most hilarious thing they'd ever heard. Paul Wolf wasn't impressed, but that, that made the band want to sign the deal and get on to the next chapter. So the, uh, Paul was complaining and then suddenly his wife came in holding a bouquet and said, wonderful, darling, that's the most incredible anniversary we've ever had, a wonderful car. And he was totally bemused while the band signed the agreement. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we were, Stiff Records had various mottos, aside from tomorrow's sound today. We also were, we're not hard, but we're fast. And that's pretty much an example of that kind of technique. It was made to happen and I just wanted to move it along. I knew Paul Wolf would get in the way. He would have friends at high places, major record companies, and it would all get bogged down and be a disaster. So I had to kind of get, get, get going and cut the link there. The band, thought it was great because they liked that kind of thing. So we were we were a perfect fit for Madness. Excellent. So then they signed with you. They signed with Stiff Records. Sire. Sire oh, they signed America. with Sire. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for correcting me on that. So you got them into the studio. You did talk a little bit about One Step Beyond and, and how they gave you the shorter recording. What were some of the other challenges that you experienced with the boys in the studio? Yeah, no, there, there weren't any. We got We got along well. And uh, it was a, it was a good it was a very good relationship. Uh, they didn't know anything about the record industry, and I knew a great deal. So I kind of talked them through what would happen and how it would be. And they, you know, they're very interested. And so it was it's like Dave D. When I said Dave D will phone in a minute, uh, that was a that was a kind of a, they thought that was pretty magical, you know, like I'd made Dave D call. But I knew he was always last. And I knew, I hoped that he would call. But he, he swung the deal. This day's a man that he walks Round and round in circles There is no place he can ever call his own He seems to jump at the sound of the
my name was Michael Caine. And all I wanted was a word of photograph And all I wanted was a word of photograph So we got on well. It was a very... Uh, Recently, Madness said I was their surrogate dad, but, you know, I don't know if that's correct. So. <laughs> well, speaking of getting along well, um, music videos. So early on in Madness's career, also, uh, you know, music videos were becoming a staple on television. And you directed just a whole host of them for the band. Um, well, they were, they're great actors, really. They're, they're, they're really uh, down-to-earth people. Very, uh, you know, they were rude boys. They, you know, they weren't big on going to school. They weren't big on on the on the uh, bureaucracy of life. And so we got along well. I'm I'm not either. So uh, we we we. It was good. It was the relationship was excellent. At one point, it it uh, got a bit uh, iffy because uh, I didn't know why, but I realized that we were not communicating as well as normal. And I searched around to try and find out the reason. And I found out that um, what was happening was uh, the, the group had albums for the record company, you know, signing albums, that's a very good way of getting more people interested in the band and also giving out signed uh, records to media people. And a lot of these media albums signed by the group were turning up in a Camden Town market, a kind of a record market, you know, a flea market, uh, and being sold to the public. And they thought, because I had asked them to sign these records, they assumed that I was selling their records off the back of a lorry somewhere that I was uh, I was in some way benefiting by the from the signed signed records. It turned out that uh, Lee Thompson, the sax player, had a friend who had a market stall, and he was going to the band saying, "Robbo would like you to sign the all these records," which they then did, and then he and his friend were selling them in the market. I wasn't there Don't blame me, it just isn't fair You listen to their side, now listen to mine Come think of a story, sure you'll find me sometime That's, uh, that's, you know, that's the kind of uh, things, the only things that kind of upset us in the early years. After that, it was very good. We had a very good relationship. Uh, yeah, so Lee was doing his usual kind of bad boy and, and uh, <laughs> getting some extra uh, cash. So anyway, we got it sorted out. And he never paid me back, I have to say. But um, uh that was good. And the videos, the band were very good. Discovered at an early stage that they're very good actors. They're very good uh, 
able to follow a, a quick uh, brief. And the, all the videos were made in one day. That was, that was my criteria for making a video is that we had to finish it in one day. Uh, not not uh, edited, but finished shooting it. And so all those videos were shot in one day and um, you know, uh, they they were very funny. They, they had a natural sense of humor. Uh, I had my uh, kind of uh, photography experience. And again, we got to we got to a very good place where we all would put parts in and I would uh, get it filmed in the day. And it got, the media really looked forward to them. So it meant that we could kind of place our new single where we wanted to. Uh, it really opened up the doors. The video MTV was big at that time. And all the videos, a lot of uh, British TV uh, stations also had music shows that used videos. So we got a lot of coverage. It was uh, it was very good. Well, I remember I first discovered them on MTV when I was very young, and they were completely different from everything else that we were seeing on MTV. You know, you had like Duran Duran. You know, you had these other you know pretty boy bands, and and then you had these guys that were just completely wacky, and they just seemed authentic. <laughs> yes, that's a very good word. I mean, it was just very natural the way that they played to the camera and stuff, and and. We, we loved it over here. Yes, well, it did do very well. How big was Madness in America? I mean, I know that they were on Sire in America. That was Seymour Stein. So he had the American market. We, uh, Stiff didn't. But uh, he used all our stuff. You know, he used, to, he used to borrow our stuff and copy it. He was very, <laughs> very American. Um, what, what was the size of the market there? What, I know that our house was a big hit. Right. But I don't remember anything else charting or being huge. Well, unfortunately, neither do we. Uh, they were kind of a one-hit wonder. I mean, we, we did see a few of their videos on MTV, but Our House is really, I think, the song that most, most Americans would know. And like if I'm wearing a Madness t-shirt or something and somebody stops me and says, what's Madness? And I just hum a few bars of Our House. Oh, yeah. So speaking of Our House, that video was really in heavy rotation on MTV. It became the band's biggest hit in the states as we said did you have any inkling when they were recording this that that song was going to blow up internationally oh well no not internationally particularly the band were always very reticent about going abroad they're very camden town you know center of london kind of attitude they still most of them live you know within some touching distance of the same place they started and um they they never kind of fancied foreign climes and didn't perhaps tour enough um, to make some of those, as we just discussed, make some of those places bigger. You know, they're very big in Australia. Uh, they're quite big in the continent of Europe. France was a very big market for them. Anywhere ska or reggae was interesting. Uh, as you say, they saw the videos or some of them and got interested in them there.
Um, yeah, um, it's interesting. They, I, I think now they should try and broaden out. Uh, they've kind of, you know, they're huge in the UK. They play, thousands of people turn out. I mean, more than. And several generations. You, you've got the people who were with them in 1979, and, and then two generations thereafter, the kids of that generation, and then the grandchildren of that generation. So a, a madness uh, outdoor um, uh, festival or outdoor meeting will have a, an incredible cross-section of generations, which is really odd, because all the old guys have got fezzes on, and then there's the young guys with fezzes. I mean, the whole thing is like a meeting of the American Shriners. Remember, American Shriners used to wear that kind of fez stuff. They still do. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm sure they're interested. Uh, I don't know their particular uh, philosophical leanings, but I don't think they're ska, anyway. <laughs> all these spectacular videos you also directed the band's 1981 feature film madness take it or leave it how did that project come about well it seemed to me i've always wanted to uh to do something to show the starting of a band you know to start to show the what what takes place it's not just uh, a group at school that uh, you know, a lot of a lot of groups that have been successful have started with a very odd, uh, different kind of thing, but you know, similar. And so I thought it would be good to show the band uh, be prior to madness, uh, you know, getting together and rehearsing and seeing what's happened because you know they were just one step ahead of the posse. Really, in those days, the police were always kind of. Uh, wanting to catch them doing things, they were they were they were wild boys, and they you know did what wild boys kind of did, and they didn't seem to have any other interests. The band became a focus for them, and drew them away from that uh, kind of life. A lot of their friends are in jail, even now, and uh, that's the kind of underbelly of life in the middle city. So the idea of the movie was to show that element. Uh, to do it, everybody wrote their own kind of life story, or more or less, a bit life story. And I combined a lot of the events 
into one script, which we then shot. Uh, the, the entire movie was shot in about a week and uh, finished over a couple of weeks, months, but uh, it, it had a very tiny budget and, uh, and it was good. I showed it recently, Suggs agreed to do a, a question and answer a thing at a very nice theater held about 125 people, sold out. It's also got incredible sound and a very classy kind of uh, visual. And it went down very well. And, and it, even people who had seen it before saw it in a, in a good uh, atmosphere. And it went, it went down very well. People were fairly amazed to find that it was the band being themselves and looking like they were four years younger. They're great. They're great actors, and should have should have done more of that. So yes, doing it. I broke my leg halfway through, and it's very difficult. I fell off a, a gantry, a camera gantry, and uh, it's very difficult keeping madness kind of uh, <laughs> under control. That's not that's not the word, but you know what I mean. Uh, um, and and so it's very difficult when you have a broken leg, but. We managed to get it together, and uh, it's an interesting movie to see now, because you see the characters uh, who have all more or less uh, kept their kept their personalities. And they're, musically, they're very, very good now. I mean, they're an excellent musical group. So, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that there's a uh, you're doing this work uh, in the states. And what we should do is get various members of the band to do more and try and build a following um, with your uh, with your people and try and build it up a bit and involve the record label a bit. I'm, I'm thinking of work that could be done now, even as I'm talking. So, I, you know, I should actually slip down and have a few drinks and stop. <laughs> well, it's uh, you know we've been we've been we've been connected for a lot of years. So, um, uh, Dave, if we could, I want to go back briefly, getting back to Stiff and some of the notable names that you signed. Of course, we've got Elvis Costello, Ian Dury, The Damned, Motorhead, um, Kirsty McCall, The Pogues. Um, you know, that's a pretty varied um, group of acts right there. More or less, they all uh, sort of uh, had Stiff as a a bit of a launching pad, um, you know, does there ever get to be a point um, in Stiff Records where you just wanted people to, to kind of stay around, stay committed to Stiff? Well, I, I don't own Stiff now. Universal does, like they own an awful lot of other record labels. Uh, so I don't have any interest at all, financial or otherwise. Uh, but I would just say about that list of people was that they were all songwriters. I've always 
been interested in the idea of songwriting about social songwriting, which I think is like a folk music. I thought the Beatles were a folk music for Liverpool. And uh, so I signed people who could write, irrespective of their kind of oil painting uh, persona or, you know, great look or whatever. It was always a question of, what, let's hear your songs. And Madness fitted into that. And they're, you know, they are a very London, inner London band from Camden Town. And, and they're very, we shot a lot of the videos on the locations where they went to school and various other places. And um, I like, I like, that's my interest, I suppose, is a, a social music about the life we've uh, lived or are about to hopefully live and, uh, and the creative use of music to, to get that across. So that's what Stiff was all about, uh, to show the major record companies that you didn't need to have kind of purple hair or, or satin trousers or whatever. And, uh, you know, that the music and songwriting and other parts of the music were very important and very interesting. Uh, and if you did them well, you could make a career out of it and make a living. But it wasn't, the, their interest was never, you know, if you had a can of beans, the major record companies were only interested in the tin. They weren't really interested in the beans. You know. Fair enough. I did want to mention Motorhead because that, um, you know, their, their tenure at Stiff was fairly brief. Well, Lenny, Lenny was always, uh, Lenny was always around. Um, you know, he, he had a good, he had a bit of following for himself. He had a very kind of rocking persona and, uh, we put out one of his one of their early tracks. Uh, Levy and I go back. We were both roadies for Jimi Hendrix Experience very briefly. Um, when I say roadies, we looked after the equipment for uh, a tour. A tour. Uh, when I say we, I mean I. Levy Levy spent most of the time talking to the girls outside. I I <laughs> I put the equipment on the stage. Uh, he's a good, he was a good fun bloke, um, but, you know, very, very two-dimensional in a kind of, in a kind of a way. He wasn't one to worry about the intellectual requirements for anything except playing pinball machines and uh, going, finding girls, really. Yeah. He, he only stuck around with Stiff for a short while as well, didn't he? Uh, I think leaving here was the only... Did white 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 album, line did white line fever I think is the song that I remember. <laughs> Lemmy, Lemmy was around for a while, and we we put out a lot of we put the early days of Stiff. We just put out people who had a track, 
who, who had a song that sounded good and who had made their own kind of demo. I mean, Nick Lowe from the beginning, they were all demos, really, the first 10 or, or 15 stiff records. A guy called John Peel, who also backed Madness, was at the BBC. He was a, he was a phenomenal guy for picking really underground uh, material and playing it on national radio. So there was that one great opening to get uh, anything that you had that was good through the door and get a get a position for it. So that's that's what Stiff Stiff would probably not have survived if it wasn't for John Peel. God bless him. Did you have any sense um, with the Pogues uh, that? what they were attempting to do musically was going to translate at all uh much more you know be the big success well, they were you know, i i come from dublin and the pogues are you know my people and so i knew everything about the pogues their their name was pogue mahone which means kiss my arse you know and uh, we we shortened that to the pogues but uh, we worked very hard to get them going and and as luck would have it, Elvis Costello uh, fell for the bass player, who luckily was a female at the time, and uh, and produced the second record. And that was a, a big... Also, we connected them to the Dubliners, who are a very big Irish band, big following. So those two things had the effect of turning on... Prior to that, people thought they were too drunk. I mean, their ability to drink was kind of mesmerizing. But everyone thought they were, you know, they wouldn't get anywhere. They were too drunk. It's amazing, really. I went to Shane McGowan's 60th birthday a couple of years ago. And uh, I think 2,000 people had paid something like £100. Um, that's of what, $130, $140, to uh, be at his birthday party. And uh, it shows you uh, the love people had for him. Um, he was given a, a he was given a, a lifetime achievement award by the president of Ireland, uh, uh, who I knew vaguely. And uh, afterwards, I was in the gents. I was in the gentlemen's uh, uh, bathroom, as they say in America. And and a, a guy banged me on the shoulder, tapped me on the shoulder. A very tall man who said, "Are you are you finished?" <laughs> And I said, what? Because <laughs> obviously the place was crowded. He said, the president wants to get in. He's in a hurry. So uh, <laughs> we, we, me and the president of Ireland peed together, and we didn't shake hands immediately afterwards. But uh, this shows you what can happen at a, at a Pogue's, uh, a Pogue's <laughs> birthday party. I'm but my love By the gasworks wall Dreams a dream by the old canal. I kiss my girl by the factory wall. Dirty old town, dirty old town. Clouds are drifting across the moon. Anyway, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, I knew Shane McGowan again was a great songwriter, and that was the essence of it. The band, uh, you know, worked hard, 
uh, and we gave them every help to try and improve their playing and improve their music. Uh, and it, it turned into quite a phenomena. But Shane just, you know, he he could never work out where the fuel gauge was on the dashboard. <laughs> he, he fueled himself a different way, I take it. So I'm curious, is there one that got away? Is there an act that you wish that you had signed or had an opportunity to sign you didn't and that you regret not signing? Uh, the Stray Cats is probably uh, the band I missed. I, I, I had a brief holiday. My wife eventually persuaded me to take a holiday after several years. And uh, I did tell everybody at the company, I was going away for 10 days, but I've got a feeling about, uh, about kind of psychobilly. I, I said, I kind of rock and roll with a quiff, with, with a, a hair quiff and a kind of a bit of kind of rocking kind of leather jacket, kind of high heel boots kind of thing, I think is going to occur. And I went away for 10 days. When I came back, I said, anything? And uh, everyone said, no, no, it's really quiet when you're away. Uh, there was a group who, who sat here that we couldn't get rid of. They sat here in the uh, lobby of the office for four days. And uh, eventually we had to really have them moved on, almost call the police. But they left the tape for you. And I played the tape and, I, you know, if I could have, I'd have probably fired the entire staff at that point. Uh, this was exactly what I was looking for. And at that point, um, Arista, I think Arista, yeah, had, had, had uh, discovered them, had got in very close to them, had, uh, had bought their manager a huge load of coke, uh, which he was charging the band for. And uh, and they moved them into a hotel, and I couldn't. I I got Dave Edmonds to offer to produce them because I thought that was the ultimate kind of uh, right producer, and he ended up making the record. But I couldn't convince them. They they told me they said we came over from New York to sign to Stiff. It was the only label we thought was any good. But then Arista started paying our bills, so we got stuck with Arista. Wow! Unbelievable! Wow! <laughs> I tried really, I tried really hard. I did all my tricks except for the limo and, and the addresses. Well, Dave, uh, I've just about run out of questions and I know you, you know, time is probably precious and getting late there. Um, Laurie, are, are we done, do you feel? Just about, I have one last question and I don't think this is going to take very long. Dave, what's your favorite Madness song? Um, right now, I think it's probably uh, The Sun and the Rain. That's a good one. That it is. <laughs>
All right. Fantastic. Nice to, Thank you. Nice, nice to meet you. Yeah. And hopefully I'll pick your brains again. And uh, yeah, good luck, all you Madness fans in America. You know, one step beyond. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. This was awesome. Th thanks again, Dave. All the best. Take care. Wow, that was fantastic. What did you think, Polly? He's a crusty old pirate. That guy knows everything. And he is at the age of 78. He is still uh, full of piss and vinegar. So, yeah. He's 78? Yeah. What? He does not look it. I no, would not have. Fine. No, it's fantastic. Yeah. He strikes me as like a really, really good chess player. You know what I mean? Where it's like he's always kind of planning several moves ahead. And I'm going to move this piece here, move that piece there. Yeah, some of those stories were just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Got to be on your feet in the record game. So, yeah. yeah, good on him. Yeah, so thank you again to Dave Robinson for taking time out to meet with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks also to our friend Jonathan at MIS. I believe he had a little bit of a hand in helping us schedule this, yes? Yes, he did. So thank you. Thank you to Jonathan at MIS. Polly, how are we closing out our episode today? That is a fine, fine question. So I do believe we played a snippet of this before, but as is our like, we tried to leave with a big, long song at the end of our episodes, and we just thought it would be fitting to try to squeeze as much of Stiff Records into our closing song. So uh, what we decided to do was uh, play the Elvis Costello version of It's Just Another Day, backed by our boys in the band. Actually, I seem to remember reading at Dave's wedding, you know, which he was talking about, uh, that Elvis Costello was one of the guests and was actually dancing to Madness. I seem to remember reading that. So on that note, we leave you with Elvis Costello, and it's a goodbye from me. And that's a goodbye for me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. Thought I'd done my best All my life I can't get no rest Some who've closed the door before Say I can't carry on no more I hear them saying tomorrow's just another day Try to take it in All these facts Leave me in the swing Down and down there is no up I think that I've run out of luck I hear them saying tomorrow's just another day Say
his actions If I move around I need a moment to reflect On the friendships I have wrecked I hear them saying tomorrow's just another day Yeah. Uh-huh.